Good afternoon, good evening, everyone. Welcome in to the Howell Stern Show here on Radio 1190 alongside Chase Hell, um, Jack Stern. We're going to be talking some high school sports today. Fairview had yet another good weekend with Aiden Atkinson making a mark. Then we're going to talk recruiting with a couple new guys who are looking at CU coming into town. That's obviously something we have to touch on. Then we'll be joined in a little while by 2019 quarterback commit Ty Evans. We'll be having him on the show. So that's something to stick around for. Obviously, we have to talk about the Broncos. And as the one team I continuously have confidence in, we're going to touch on the Rockies too because they just overtook Saint, the St. Louis Cardinals on the wild card. And hey, we're just sitting with them sitting just a half game behind the LA Dodgers. Anything is possible right now. There's still five games left. They're currently in the second inning, tied up 0-0 with the Phillies. A game that they should win, but there's still time left for them to win the division. And I think they're a team that could probably make a run. So we'll get into that. Wait, no, we have to be cynical about it. That's we how have to we've be cynical. The so, so the thing, the, the thing that Chase and I have theorized is that when we're negative about the Rockies, they turn it on. Mm-hmm. But when we start to compliment them a little bit, that's when things start to go south. So naturally, we have to be. We have to just. This be is the most no cynical no, no what. radio show about the Rockies, not named, yeah. not on one hundred and four three. Yeah, I, 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 I agree. I agree. <laughs> yeah, I, you, 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 have my full permission and disclosure to say that. But first off, we have to talk a little bit about high school sports, because. Fairview High School football is now four and one after beating Rock Canyon forty nine seven. Um, last Friday, they play Legacy in Broomfield tomorrow, seven o'clock. Be sure to catch big game all in Boulder tomorrow night. Yeah, um, big. Uh, thir- it's Thursday night lights, pretty much. Right. right? And yeah. I will be in attendance since CU's playing a Friday night game. Yeah. Don't have many options for high school games this week. I'm going to get some Aiden Atkinson in. Yeah. So you have high school football on Thursday, the Buffs on Friday. And then you have hockey season kicking off Saturday. I don't, th- I don't think you can lose in, in any of that. <laughs> but um, one of the guys that we've been keeping an eye on is Aiden Atkinson. He threw for over 250 yards, a couple touchdowns as well. He, he's gonna be, is he going to be the guy you're focusing most of your attention on? He will be, but um, he's not the only player that could play at the Division who, who, one level. Who, who, I believe who they, else should we look for? Uh, Fairview has a defensive end that's a 2020 commit. And I'm blanking on his name right now, but if you give me a couple of minutes, I'll look it up. He will also be able to play um, Power Five level. So him okay. and Aiden Atkinson, those are the main two. But really, I just want to see how Aiden Atkinson looks. You can't get a whole lot about a quarterback from a highlight ta- tape because you just don't see the throws that yeah, he misses. You don't, yeah, which is probably the most important part of a quarterback. Yeah. Does Does Rock Canyon? Have any guys you're going to be looking out for? Or you're mainly going to see what's going on just, with Fairview. Just mostly Fairview. Ma- mainly Fairview. Okay, well, it should be a good one. They have a chance. Correct me if I'm wrong to potentially compete in the uh, state national championship for football this year. The, yeah, the state championship. Absolutely, they'll probably be a very highly ranked team going in. Um, yeah, they're, they're top ten right now. So I mean, yeah, I definitely expect to see them. Granted, we're not even out of September yet, but yeah, right. as it it's right kind of hard. At least the high school season is like almost halfway through, so we're oh. a little bit further along okay, there that's, than, that's than college football. For. But yeah. yeah, so it's a little bit hard to tell, but Fairview yeah. will be right in it. On the other side of Boulder, on the other hand, things have looked a lot different. The Boulder high school football team is now two and three. They had an embarrassing loss last weekend versus Westminster High School, 40 to nothing. But and they play Smoky Hill in an afternoon game, which is rare in high school. The Buffs are kind of having a Friday night lights, and it seems like high school teams are playing earlier on. They play Smoky Hill on Saturday at 1 p.m. in the afternoon. So be sure to look at that. With the Buffs having a bye week last week, though, there were a couple recruits on campus. Among them was Maurice Wilmer, who Pretty versatile. It looks like he can play the buffbacker a little bit, especially with Davion Taylor going to be a junior next year. So this is a guy they could bring along. And he can also play a little bit of the jack linebacker, which, as Coach McIntyre talked about, 
it's been nice having a rotation of linebackers at the position. So I think he's trying to maybe uh, – the team is trying to maybe recruit more linebackers now so they can keep that rotation going. Right, and it kind of seems like they're going in a different direction in the type of guys that they're looking at at Jack Linebacker. They're really just looking for an athlete to play that position. Um, sort of like a Drew Lewis is a good example because yeah. he came in to play Jack Linebacker, but he ended up moving to outside linebacker. And I think they just want somebody that can go sideline to sideline basically at that – a fast, big athlete that can play jack linebacker. So right now they yeah. got Alec Pell um, committed, in-state kid from Cherry Creek, who is expected to come in and uh, compete at jack linebacker, but he's never played jack linebacker in his life. He was mostly an offensive guy early on. He has now learned how to play outside linebacker for Cherry Creek, but um, CU likes him as a jack linebacker. So that's just kind of the type of athlete that they're looking for at that position. Maurice Wil- Wilmer will be another guy like that. Yeah, I and, mean, um, and he can also play buff back. He's just a very versatile type of guy. Yeah, as long as he commits to CU on Friday. Yeah, I, I think it's not, it's not just about having a guy who can, you know, play the jack linebacker position specifically. I talked to Drew Lewis, and he told me that was the only linebacker he position he played coming into CU. But now he plays at all of them, and I think that's something that's really helped out. And then um, I also want to talk about the guy that's visiting this weekend, which is uh, because it's a Friday night game. Obviously, you can't get all the high school athletes in Yeah, um, because most of them are playing on Friday night. But um, they will have Siale Liku in the town. He is a NorCal kid, big 6'4", 330-pound defensive lineman. Um, Obviously, he's coming in. They're looking at him at the nose tackle position. Yeah. And uh, he's a very interesting prospect. I've been interested in his recruitment since um, CU offered him back in July. Is he getting other offers now? Yeah, he's he's very highly recruited around the Pac-12. Cal is interested. They're probably the main competition. UCLA, he visited them uh, last week. So it's really just Pac-12 competition there. Okay, that makes sense. And as, as a guy in the North Car- uh, Cal area, um, you know, obviously he's going to be looking at CU, but he's going to look at Oregon and Washington too. It'll be interesting because when, when, when you look at the situation logistically, they've had trouble landing very talented nose tackles. I mean, Javier Edwards is good. And actually, we're going to be joined by one of the new recruits right now, um, Ty, Ty Evans, who's a 2019 commit from Palmer Ridge, is joining us. Yeah, he's on the line right now. He's on the line, the 11th-ranked pro-style quarterback in the nation. Ty, how you doing today? Good, how are you? I'm doing well. You're live on the Howell Stern Show with myself, Jack Stern, and Chase Howell. Yeah, so Ty, uh, obviously we have talked a lot, but um, I wanted to start right at your uh, Elite 11 experience, which we haven't gotten to talk about and for those listeners that don't know elite 11 is a competition between the top 24 quarterbacks in the nation they end up picking 12 to go to dallas um ty was involved in that he was obviously one of the 12 that was picked to go to dallas so um you've talked at length about it but um i just want to know about this experience what was the most surprising part to you because i know you had a lot of expectations going in but what kind of caught you by surprise um you know i thought what was a lot different about the Elite 11 was that they spent a lot of time talking to us about, you know, off the field stuff, like, you know, the pressures of being a quarterback and being that guy at your school, um, you know, mentally, I mean, mentally and socially, the struggles that come with, you know, being in that kind of position. So it wasn't necessarily all just X's and O's on the football field. It was a lot of to do with, you know, the all around life of a quarterback, which gets overshadowed or over overlooked a lot of the time and then i want to ask you what was your most memorable part of that whole thing um probably the third day um of the elite 11 in california when we were doing the seven on seven um i went in ranked number five and then i fell down to like number 11 i think um after the first two days just wasn't you know i wasn't doing bad but in that kind of environment, you have to be doing amazing um, to, you know, stick with guys like that. So I, I came down at number 11, and I knew that I was on the cusp of making it in that. Um, so I really, like, walked out there, and I was like, it's either, you know, it's now or never kind of thing. And um, went out there, and I th- killed it, 
and you know after that one of those feelings where you know you just put everything on the line and then you come out successful and it was just it was an amazing experience ty that's an interesting point you brought up about the mental part of it and i think that's really come to light with situations that have happened recently with guys getting in trouble off the field and that type of thing and i mean it's really true is you know, people are always going to be watching you wherever you go. If you're eating dinner and you're eating a food that they don't think you should be eating as the starting quarterback, they'll complain. I want to ask <laughs> you, what's the, what's the biggest piece of advice they gave you about that aspect of it? Um, they actually dove into a lot of psychological things. Um, you know, they talked a lot about positive self-talk. Um, you know, that like kind of voice inside your head that, you know, is kind of like third person, I guess. Uh-huh. Um, you know, it's so easy to just go straight to negative self-talk after don't do anything right. Or, you know, people are talking bad about you, but they, uh, they focused a lot on like staying in the positive kind of mindset of, you know, that next play, um, what can I do better next time? What can I, what did I do good today? Um, that kind of stuff that helps a quarterback kind of stay in a good mindset. Yeah, for sure. Did they talk to you guys about social media at all? I know that's something that's kind of elevated in uh, recent years, like, you know, ignoring the criticism and, you know, being around your teammates to keep positivity. Did they did they mention that at all? For sure. Um, It was more the because there is there's counselor quarterbacks there. So, you know, Jalen Hurts was there Tua Talabello was there. Will Greer was there. Um, so, like, kind of the best quarterbacks in college football um, were there counseling us, too, and they kind of dove into that, and they, they all talked about, you know, how everybody's, you know, on your side and everybody's everybody loves you when things are going right, but, you know, you throw a three-interception game and then you're just the worst person in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so you get, they, they talked a lot about how you just kind of have to stay in your lane, stay focused on the end goal, and, um, you know, stay in that positive mindset. Really impressive job on that Tua Togovailao. I can't even do it. Pronunciation. That was <laughs> yeah, way better than anything I could have. Yeah, that, that was a tough one, honestly. Yeah, I, th- I think it's good that you have the mentorship. Moving on to what's happening on the field, though. You committed to CU before your senior season ever even started. How have you progressed over the course of this year, and what lessons have you learned that you think will help you as you enter into your collegiate career in, t- in the fall or uh, spring? Right. Well, I think my biggest strides um, haven't necessarily been, you know, physically or, um, you know, football. I think I've learned a lot about how to lead a team and, um, you know, how to interact with guys and kind of reach out to them when they're struggling and, uh, you know, kind of just be that guy on the team that everybody looks to that kind of, you know, has to lead the way. Um, Because last year, you know, we had a strong group of seniors, so I kind of did my own thing and was a part of, um, you know, the leadership but not as such of a big role as I am now so I think that you know being able to step up and lead a team has probably biggest been my biggest stride since last season um and then to the recruiting side of things you and uh, Mark Perry have kind of become the lead recruiters for this 2019 class is that a responsibility that you've sort of enjoyed I mean for sure it's 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 very easy to sell to you right um, especially with the start of the season, how great we've been doing. But, um, you know, selling Boulder isn't a difficult thing to do. You kind of just say, hey, you come out here and you'll see what we have to offer. And, um, of course, I, I, I enjoy talking to guys around the country. And, you know, you start, you're starting to get to know these guys. You've seen them at camps. Um, you know, you start getting the feel for them and try to, try to get them to come to your school. And I, I think it's, it's a lot of fun for me. Have you gotten to know – the other quarterbacks in the room have you talked to steven blake tyler sam have you what what is your contact with them been um you know i've i've really only contacted them uh or you know talked to them in person um i i you know we we've talked briefly like over you know snapchat and things like that but i haven't really gotten to know any of them very well um and then what has impressed you the most about uh coach chev's offense so far this season uh, I think it's just how dynamic it is. Um, you know, you really – it's hard to defend an offense like they're running right now because, you know, you stop the stop the run game and they'll just pass it. You stop the pass game and we can run the ball too. Um, you know, they're spreading the field a lot, taking shots uh, deep when, we, when they're open um, and then hitting the short stuff too. You really 
they're they're just hitting every aspect of an offense that should be hit, and it's hard to defend an offense like that. And then last question, how excited are you to get in there and start learning this offense? Uh, I, I couldn't be more excited. You know, every day I think about how much fun it's going to be going up there um, this spring and, you know, getting into spring ball and stuff like that. I think I have 111 days until I'm up at CU. Um, so I'm, the countdown I'm clock down. is on. Oh, yeah, it is. It's been on for a minute, but um, <laughs> it's, it's extremely exciting and it's, you know, keeping me motivated to try to get better every day. Ty, thanks for taking the time to join us today, and we look forward to seeing you in January. Yeah, thanks, Ty. Thank you, guys. For sure. All right, that was Ty Evans, quarterback commit, joining us. Very nice of him to take time out of his day in, a, in such a busy season as he gets ready for perhaps one of the biggest stages of his life so far. Yeah, what we didn't get to mention is he's actually on a bye week this week, so yeah. he does have football practice, but... Um, not as it's not like he has a game in the next couple of days, which made it a little bit easier for him to talk to us, which may, means that he will be able to make it out to the UCLA game on Friday night. Yeah, definitely, definitely look for him out there. I was very impressed with the maturity of him. I mean, you don't hear uh, kids his age talk with that level of articulation and talk about football from so many different assets. I mean, I think it's it's almost human nature to forget that there's a mental aspect of this game. And you're going to face criticism and scrutiny and things are going to happen. You're going to go up and down. It's going to be like a roller coaster. But it, it, it was very insightful to hear about things from that aspect. Yeah, he, he seems like he has a real understanding. And I think um, the Elite 11 really helped him out with that. But he just has always kind of had a good understanding of the mental side of football. Yeah, it, it, was, it was really good to have him on. And I look forward to talking to him again in the future. But looking ahead to the game that's going on right now or happening on Friday against the UCLA Bruins. They're a team that's polarizing, and a lot of people around the country have simply called this a trap game because they've lost three games, but two of them were were to two very good teams. Oklahoma is currently ranked fifth in the country. They They blew the Bruins out. Fresno State is one of those surprise teams that came around and has been pretty darn good this year. They're two and one. So I kind of expect the Bruins to play better on Friday. Now, I'm not saying I expect them to win the game, but from an offensive standpoint, I expect to see a lot more than what we've seen already. Yeah, I, I do too. I think it's going to be a close game through at least three quarters. I, I don't think that CU is just going to come out and blow them out in the first half. I think it, it will stay a close game. UCLA will show some new things on offense that they have kind of kept secret through those first few games because now that they're in their conference portion of their schedule, I think they have a few more secrets in that Chip Kelly offense. Yeah, and touching on the three keys that the Buffs are going to need to do to win this game, I think the first one is you need to keep the quarterback in the pocket. I mean, a lot of people think that applies to only Dorian Thompson-Robinson because he's more he's seen more of a dual-threat guy. But even Wilton Spate, he's shown an ability, especially during his time at Michigan, to make throws out of the pocket, to do that type of thing. So I think one, if you can keep the quarterback contained – you can pressure him a little bit, you're going to have a much higher chance of success. Because when we saw, we saw Adrian Martinez make his best throws against Nebraska when he was outside the pocket. So if you can keep him in there, I think that's going to help him. My second key is to get the run game going because they have a lot of weapons at wide receiver and they need to make teams respect the run game to open up the entire field and get those one-on-one matchups. Because if, they're, if, if they can't get that run game going, they're just going to keep they're going to play cover two. They're going to keep guys deep. They're not going to stack eight men in the box. So I think that's a key to open up, opening up the whole field. Third game, uh, third key to the game, I believe, is getting a lot of guys involved. It's not just about LaVisca. I think in the game against Nebraska, I'm not going to talk about UNH as much because they had a pretty easy time you know, beating them through a lot of different ways. But particularly in the game against Nebraska, their play calling got very predictable. You know what I mean? LaVisca's great. He's just a very talented wideout. I think he's going to be on the top, top in the top 25 on most big boards come next season. But I, I think you need to get a lot of other. I mean, he's going to make plays. He's going to you know get receptions for you. But I think you need to get Juwan Winfrey, KD. I think you need to see some chunk yardage plays with them too. So those are my three keys. Yeah, I I agree with those keys. You can't allow this offense to get one dimensional. Whether that's no. who they're throwing it to. 
or run game and pass game. And that they, hurt them a little bit against Nebraska because they would just double Visca. And while he made some spectacular catches, you can't rely on that happening every Yeah, game. you can't rely on him. And so that'll come down to getting Jawan Winfrey healthy, maybe. And then uh, if Tony Brown or KD Nixon can also step up in the receiving game. And then they really, really have to get the offensive line going. They're going to have to play one of their best games that they've played all season. Yeah. Um, for score, in terms of a score prediction, I'm, t- I'm taking CU to win 37 to 24. I think, I think it's going to be a close game. I think CU is going to be able to put up points. They have the tools to put up points on a defense that's struggled a lot so far. But on the flip side, I think UCLA has the potential to have their best offensive game so far. When you look at their roster, they have a lot of talent, and there's going to be a lot of mismatches on that side of the ball. I don't think, as it stands right now, CU has a guy who they can post up against um, Caleb Wilson, who's one of the best tight ends in the nation, or even Theo Howard. And we've seen Delrick Abrams perform well so far, but their coverage corners have been up and down so far this season. They struggled against Nebraska, so I think that they're going to have they're going to have some success in the pass game. And likewise, they have one of the more underrated young running backs in the nation, in Casimir Allen, who had a big. 74-yard touchdown run in the season opener against Cincinnati. I think he's going to be able to get some chunk yardage plays. And listen, CU's run defense has improved a lot from last year. I'm not completely sold on them yet. Well, so you had them a 13-point victory? 14-point victory. I I had 37-24, which is a 14-point victory. Two touchdowns, yes. So the line is currently at 11.5. CU is 11.5-point favorite. So you're going to take the CU side of things. Yeah, I've had a I've had it a ten point victory all week. I'm going to keep it at that, thirty eight twenty eight. I really do think it's going to be a close game. Like you've been saying, I think we're going to see a little bit more from UCLA's offense yeah. than we have seen in those first three games. I keep on saying that, but the their offense is really young. They have two true freshman running backs that are pretty good. A yeah. true freshman quarterback as long as Wilton Sprite doesn't play. So these guys need to grow up a little bit. Yeah. And I think we're going to see a little bit of growth after struggling through those first three games. They're going to play a little bit better, but they're not going to play well enough to beat the Buffs. Yeah, I don't think they can win a shootout at this point. I mean, their defense just hasn't shown enough. But I think their offense matches up favorably with CU's defense. I'll say that much um, in that side of the things. But another argument that's been touched on all week CU get no love. They're currently 3-0. and There's teams that have had losses, have had losses to teams within their division, like the Michigan State Spartans, who lost to Arizona State, who are ranked. CU's not ranked, but that's, that's to, to, to me, I think that's fair because when you look at the teams that Colorado has played so far, they're combined 1-13, and, and that one win was CSU defeating a very bad Arkansas Razorbacks team in the last 10 seconds of the game. So I just think the caliber of competition they faced so far hasn't justified a ranking. And I don't think it will justify a ranking until after a win against Arizona State. Yeah, I like the spot that they're in. They're one spot out of the top 25. It, it keeps a little bit of a chip on your shoulder. Hey, they're not respecting us. We're a 3-0 team. They have all these one-loss teams. And that helps on the team's mental side of things. And then I, I'm i kind of on your side where I don't think that they've played well enough against their, uh, let's just say, poor competition that yeah. they played in those three games for it to be uh, a top 25 ranking. The only team, like you said, that I'd kind of argue against is Michigan State just because I didn't think they looked good yeah. at all against Arizona State. And they only have two wins rather than being three and one. They're yeah. two and one. It's, it's kind of a it's kind of a gray area when you talk about wins and losses because some teams like Washington are ranked in the top ten, mm-hmm. but their one loss came against Auburn. CU's three and zero, but they haven't played a, played a good team. So it's just kind of a hard, weird, and difficult debate. And it kind have. of brings up the debate on whether you're ranking these teams on how well they've looked, if they yeah. look like a top 25 team, yeah. or if you're just looking at their resumes and picking teams. I think you could you could have make an argument for both through four weeks of the season. Once you get to the end of the season, you should be picking based off resume. Yeah. But at this point, it makes a lot of sense to just look at teams and kind of formulate your top 25 from there, which is why you see people, there was a little bit of a debate on Twitter. Um, some people had Virginia Tech in their yeah. top 25 who have one loss and Syracuse out of it who haven't lost, and their best win is both against Florida State. 
So resume-wise, Syracuse probably looks better, but there's an argument to be made that Virginia Tech has looked like the better team through the first four games. Yeah, it's it's kind of weird with, rank, with rank, uh, ranking the top 25, and neither of us are trying to rip CU. We both think they have the potential to be a top 25 team. If they're 5-0, and I think it's going to be hard to keep them out of the ranking. But if they're 4-0, people will look at the situation. Listen, not all of the people ranking in the top 25 are tuned in to – all of every single game, you know, team being considered for rankings games. So it's just it's just a little bit hard, logistically speaking, to justify a ranking, even if they do beat UCLA. If CU blows out UCLA, yeah, I think it's then, a little bit different. But it. if we're talking about a 10, 15-point win against a team yeah. that is now 0-4, it's going to be hard again to put them in the top 20. Remember, Arizona State was ranked early. Uh, was ranked early on here. So I think that if they beat them, it'll be easier to justify yeah, it, that. Yeah, it'll be much more interesting after we get to that fifth game. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, cu- I'm curious to see how the, situations, the, the situation unfolds because last year they weren't even in the top 30 after starting 3-0, and but obviously they struggled down the stretch. But I think, I think this team is playing with a lot of conf- confidence. They're playing loose. They have that renewed sense of hunger that I didn't really feel as much in the locker room last year. So I think the sky is the limit for this team right now. There's absolutely a different vibe with yeah. this team than there was last year. I, I don't know if it's as similar to 2016 because no. there's a lot of different guys in that locker room, but there's definitely a different vibe than what we were getting in 2017. Yeah, but the team that plays in Denver, the football team that plays in Denver, is not off is off to not nearly as good of a start as the Buffs are, they had a really ugly loss, 27-14, to the Baltimore Ravens last weekend. Forever Buffs CU Lindsay got ejected on a really questionable call. I don't know if anyone out there has seen it, but he was punching. Oh, they've seen it. Oh, everyone. Well, that's a stu- that's not a good question. Everyone <laughs> out there has seen it, but it, it's, it's just uh, generated so much debate. It seemed like he was punching at the he, – uh, he justified his action by saying he was punching at the ball in a pile. And listen – we're, none of us are at the bottom of these fumble piles where the guys are hitting each other, and I, I don't even want to know what happens. My, my bones are hurting just thinking about it. But it, it was kind of a weird scenario that unfolded because all of a sudden one of the uh, Broncos' biggest weapons is out of the game on this questionable call. I kind of thought it should have been reviewed personally when I saw it live. I thought I was surprised that it wasn't. I mean, it's an ejection call. It's a big loss for the team, but I don't know. What did you think about that? I just thought it was interesting that Philip Lindsay, ever since he signed with the Broncos, and even when he was here, all you heard was good things about him. Yeah. Good, 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 good. Character things, too. Yeah, and it, it was mostly about his character. So this was the one um, maybe bad thing that, yeah. that we've seen. So I think that kind of just caught everybody by surprise. Like, no way. That yeah. guy made, made that kind of mistake. So I thought that was funny. The, the way that it sort of went down, and Philip Lindsay knows that he made a mistake. Yeah. But these are the types of things that you can easily learn from, and you know that Philip Lindsay will learn from it, get better from it. And Coach McIntyre talks about it all the time. Adversity makes the man. This is some adversity that yeah. Philip has to go through, and he hasn't really gone through that much adversity in his NFL career so far since being undrafted. That, that's, that was probably his most adversity. So um, he will become a better man from it. It didn't look like a big deal. Nothing to make a big deal out of to me. Yeah, but the one interesting aspect was this: is it seems like Lindsey did this out of passion for the game. You know what I mean? He, 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 he wanted he wanted to win. He was trying to get the football. I don't think this was necessarily a red flag, so to speak. You know what I mean? I think it was more like I want to win the game. Yeah, he might have gotten over aggressive, but I don't think I don't really think this ejection was a major red flag. You know, sometimes you see guys with a helmet to helmet in college football or throwing a punch, or saying a magic word to the referee, and that's kind of a red flag when mm. it comes to character. But punching at the football, which it looked like he was, I mean, even if, you know, I, I don't think this was that much of a red flag in terms of character. It wasn't anything you would classify as dirty. I think yeah, that's the best no. way to put it. He, It looked like he was either defending himself or punching for the ball. One of the two, it, it wasn't a dirty play or anything. So, yeah, like uh, I said, he'll be better for it. Yeah, but things have the potential to go south. Very quickly for this Broncos team. Next week, they face up against the Kansas City Chiefs, who I think are one of the best teams in the NFL. Not just right now, but I think when we have this conversation again in December, they'll still be at that point. I mean, Patrick Mahomes is looking unbelievable. I mean, he can, he can do everything. He has a big arm. He can get out of the pocket. He can run. 
he made an amazing play. Uh, he made an amazing throw after extending the play last weekend to Chris Conley. It went down in the stat sheet, seven yard touchdown, but it was like from thirty yards out with the way he moves around. He he's been the MVP early on. Thirteen touchdowns, no interceptions. I mean, what what have we seen from this guy? They are by far the best team in the d- division. It's not even close. And Mahomes has been un- unbelievable. I don't think anyone could say that they expected this from Mahomes. He's been on a different level. He he looks like the same quarterback he looked like at Texas Tech. Yeah. Which is saying something because this is rare. a lot different competition. I mean, he did have some games where he threw for like 700 and something yards against Oklahoma in that one shootout. So a little bit different in that. Yeah. But he does look like the same quarterback he did at Texas Tech. He looks comfortable back there. Looks like he has a great understanding of this offense. This offense that is coordinated by former forever buff Eric Bieniemy, yeah. who has done a really good job taking over as offensive coordinator with the Chiefs. I think it, it helps that he has Andy Reid, though. Well, it always does. Andy Reid's coaching tree is unbelievable. Every, yeah. Every offensive coordinator that Andy Reid develops gets a head coaching job in the NFL. Yeah. And but I think that this Bieniemy offense is, looks like the best offense the Chiefs have had in a while. And their offense does look good every year, but this yeah. just looks like a different level. And maybe it's the athletes that they have out there, but it just looks like it even better than they usually are. Yeah, I mean, is this finally the year that Andy Reid gets over the hump? Because he's been – a lot has been said about him being a quarterback whisperer. He had Brett Favre. He had Donovan McNabb. He was able to bring some good years out of Michael Vick toward the end of his tenure in Philadelphia. But he's notorious for struggling in the playoffs. Every time January comes around, it seems like he gives up a big lead. He struggles. Things, things just start to go south. Is this the guy who's going to finally get him that Super Bowl ring? As an Eagles fan, I just can't say that Andy Reid will be able to get yeah. it done. Well, we don't. We obviously we're, <laughs> we, talk, we do sports talk radio. We're not. We're not biased. We don't root for teams. We're not biased. But yeah. as someone that has experienced a lot of sad Januarys, yeah, and even into early February, yeah, with Andy Reid at the helm. Um, I don't trust him in the playoffs. I think this team will look really good in the regular season, but you just can't trust that man. And he makes too many bad clock management decisions. Oh, God. Never seems to learn from him. Yeah. So I can't trust him once you get to playoff time, but this team will look really good in the regular season. Yeah, personally, I think Mahomes is so talented that if he can – well, he probably won't continue at this pace, but if he does something – if he's playing – kind of how he's playing now if he's just going out and dominating and throwing a lot of touchdowns i think they'll be able to mask andy reed's play calling almost because he may, he's the type of guy who makes you look like a good coach you know what i mean and there's rumor their defense is struggling so that could be something that hurts them later on but there's rumors out there that they might try to trade for earl thomas or another piece maybe a cornerback linebacker someone who can help elevate the overall play of that unit so i think i think he could uh mahomes could potentially take him to February football and hopefully win. I mean, it's hard not to root for Andy Reid with all the uh, tough things that he's gone through in his life, obviously with his son dying and um, the the problems he struggled with openly around his obesity. You know, he's gone through a lot in his life, and it's hard not to root for him considering all that. It is. He's a great guy. He just makes horrible decisions once you get to the fourth quarter. And the other thing about and I kind of hate to say it about the Chiefs, is they haven't suffered a major injury like some of these other teams. No. So if Jason Kelsey or Tyreek Hill were to go down, yeah. then that could definitely change things and, for that and, team. And to add to that point, Patrick Mahomes hasn't really suffered Did, any setbacks or adversity. If he throws a pit six... I said Jason Kelsey. I meant Travis, Travis Kelsey. Kelsey yeah. <laughs> I do that because... Yeah, like I, I understand. But but if he goes out there and he throws a pick six, how is he going to respond? We, we just don't know that. And every good quarterback, we need to find out the answer to that question. So I'm curious to see what happens on that front. But in terms of the Broncos, it seems like they've played really sloppy out of the gate. Their defense has been shaky. Case Keenum has been up and down like he was earlier in his career where moments where he looks like Brett Favre or Tom Brady out there getting the ball in tight windows. And other times where you're like, why did you just throw that? The offensive line, Garrett Bowles, who was the first-round pick. Just awful. 20th overall a few years ago. He was supposed to be the missing piece to the puzzle. Now, he was hurt for a little bit last year, and he was fighting some injuries for a while. But he struggled as well, and it seems like they've seemingly shot themselves in the foot at time. I mean, in the game Sunday, they had a block field goal and a block punt, and they didn't win. That's, that's not something we see a whole lot. Yeah, they, they were just making way too many mistakes, especially on offense. 
And you mentioned Garrett Bowles. He, he just <laughs> makes some stupid decisions yeah. at times, whether it's even some false starts, holdings. Yeah. It's everything in the book. He just... I don't know what happens in his brain sometimes. He just yeah. makes dumb decisions, and he doesn't really make up for it that much with his play. He's he's kind of been more of a liability than someone who's helped them. And at this point, Broncos fans just have to wonder about John Elway's drafting ability. I mean, Bradley Chubb's been pretty good early on. Like we talked about last week, he's opened up holes for Vaughn. He's, been a, he's made him look good. But Ryan Ramchek has been a very good left tackle mm-hmm. for the Saints thus far in his career. And at this point, you almost wonder if that's the pick he should have gone with. Yeah, I think, and we were talking about this a little bit before the show, yeah. but he just fell in love with Garrett Bowles. It seemed like that was going to be the guy he was going to take um, for months ahead of the draft, and it never really looked like he was going to look yeah. at one of those other options like a Ryan Ramchek, but um, through two years, I would say that Ryan Ramchek definitely looks like the better offensive lineman. Yeah, it, it seems like he kind of blew that in a sense. I was going to move on to the Rockies, and we'll do that in a few moments, but when you talked about Patrick Mahomes' shootout with Oklahoma, I wanted to talk about the guy on the other side of the ball oh, yeah. in that game who recently won the Browns' starting quarterback job, getting the first win for Cleveland in almost two years. They, they won one game in two seasons, and he got them the fir- their first win since December of 2016, which... Man, it's a while. What, what year were you in school at that point? You were, you were, you were like the, the, the winter of your freshman year. December of 2016, yeah. yeah winter was, of your I freshman, was a freshman year. Freshman. And I was in the winter of my sophomore year. Just to put that in perspective, we're now juniors. and uh, I'm a senior. Jason's mm-hmm. a junior, respectively. So it's been pretty much two school years. It's been, it's been a long time. I was really impressed with what I saw, with what I saw out of Baker on Thursday night. He had all the characteristics that... Uh, really drew scouts to him, and he took over the game. I mean, when he got on the field, he had command over the offense. He was taking more chances, but he wasn't making risky throws. You know what I mean? He was fitting balls into tight windows, and I think that's something we saw at Oklahoma. He had a 43-6 to touchdown-to-interception ratio in his senior season there. He's a guy who takes chances but doesn't turn the ball over a lot, which is something I think the Browns need going forward. And look, Cleveland has a talented team. They have a top five defense. They have some playmakers on offense. I think their sights should be set high right now. I think they could potentially even be a playoff team. Yeah, you're spot on with your Baker Mayfield uh, take. That's exactly what I was going to say. Is he, he just looked comfortable. There, there are rookies that come in and look all flustered like they just don't belong, and especially yeah. at quarterback. Yeah. And that's how you get into throwing too many interceptions, kind of like Deshaun Kaiser did with the Browns last year. Whereas Baker just came in and it looked like he was back at Oklahoma, just like it looked like Patrick Mahomes was back at Texas Tech. Yeah. And it does look like with the type of talent that the Cleveland Browns have on defense and some weapons on offense that they can be a playoff team. I'm looking at this box score right now just because I wanted to check. It was 66-59 Oklahoma Sooners over the Texas Tech Raid Raiders. <laughs> Baker Mayfield threw for 545 yards and seven touchdowns while Patrick Mahomes threw for 734 yards, five touchdowns, and an interception. Baker did not throw an interception. Yeah, that that goes to show um, kind of the magnitude of the situation, what's happened here. But I'm really impressed with Baker, and I'm excited to see how that team plays going forward. And a lot of people, I have to imagine, especially in northern Ohio, or northeastern Ohio are questioning whether they could be 3-0 and right now. They could be one of the few un- teams that's still undefeated if they had started Baker. And that's opened up the debate about whether or not to start a QB right away. Because Hugh Jackson, obviously, he was adamant in training camp that he wasn't going to start Baker right away. Tyrod was his starter. And I think he was kind of shell-shocked from the situation that happened with Deshaun Kaiser last year. He didn't really want to rush Baker in too quickly and have him struggle and hurt his confidence. This year, we've seen all four quarterbacks get in the game by get in as the starter by week four. You know what I mean? It's 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 there's there's no adjustment period. There's no redshirt year transitioning into the NFL. It's you you got to go out there and play. And some coaches are skeptical about starting them out the gate. But I think if you're the better guy on that field, I know it's an important position and all that. You should you should be the starter. Sam Darnold looked good in week one, but has since endured some growing pains. 
Josh Allen endured growing pains uh, right away, but he's made some nice throws. He's progressed. He had his best game of the year against Minnesota. He could potentially be their franchise quarterback. Then you look at Josh Rosen. He looked good in the fourth quarter against the Bears. Obviously, that was the weirdest, one of the weirdest situations I've yeah. ever seen in the NFL throwing him out there to uh, finish that game off or try to finish that game off. Yeah, I mean, obviously it's a lot to ask of a young kid, but I think he's going to help the, that Arizona team, which still doesn't have their first win, their 0-3, get there. I think he could potentially help them steal the, some games because he's talented. And we've seen that night and day difference. Cleveland had playmakers with Jarvis Landry, Anto- Antonio Callaway, Najoku, Duke Johnson out of the backfield. They had some weapons on offense, but they were underachieving. Arizona was kind of the same way with Sam Bradford, and I think with Josh Rosen they can uh, reach their full potential. Yeah, and it's it's kind of an interesting debate whether you um, want to name your first-round draft pick quarterback yeah. a starter or not. And I, it's very psychological. Like, I can see it with Baker Mayfield where you kind of want to put that chip on his shoulder because he almost plays better with the chip on his shoulder. Yeah, I think he does. Well, he, Tell was, them. he was a walk-on twice, mm-hmm. and then he's the fir- first-round pick that no one thought should be, t- should be taken there. That's so. kind of the way that he, he likes to be motivated. Yeah. So maybe it was beneficial to him because we don't really know if he was named the starter throughout, if he would be have played as well as he did this past week. Um, and then with other guys like Sam Darnold, you kind of want to give him that confidence or it seems like, Naming him the starter helps him out a little bit, so I think it kind of depends on the yeah. on the guy. So that that that's a really interesting point. Obviously, we're gonna need to see a little bit more out of these guys. Mm-hmm. Darnold, I think, was seen as the player who had the the quarterback who had the most upside coming out of college. We haven't really seen that yet. I imagine he's gonna get better as time time goes on, but that'll be an interesting thing that we'll definitely need to revisit and watch for going forward. But moving on to the sport. That's in the big part of their season. Colorado Rockies looking to make another Rocktober run. Last year they made the wild card game. Couldn't pull out a win on the road at Chase Field. Right now they're going for their sixth straight win against the Philadelphia Phillies. They've looked good in this stretch. Their pitching has allowed 1.4 runs per game during that six-game period. And they haven't allowed more than three runs. That being said, they, they lost... Some games to the Dodgers, three to two, two to nothing. Games that they could have won if they hit hit better. Early on in the season, their bullpen was a struggle. Now it looks like their hitting is is the struggle. They currently lead the Philadelphia Phillies, one nothing in the bottom of the fourth Herm- inning. Herman Marquez has set a record. Yeah, tied the MLB record by striking out the first eight batters he faced in this game. Eight for eight. He has been he's been electric. He's he's a he's a more of a he's like he reminds me a lot of Vince Velasquez on the Phillies, but he gets his strikeouts in less pitches, mm-hmm. which allows him to go longer into the game. And he's more of a he's a power pitcher. You know what I mean? He goes in there to strike you out. He's not looking. He's not he's not a guy who pitches to contact, which is kind of what Tyler Anderson and to mm-hmm. to a lesser extent Kyle Freeland are. They like to get outs on the ground and in the air. They don't they they don't strike as many guys out. But touching on Herman, I'm really impressed with how he turned it around. Remember, early on, he struggled a lot. He left too many pitches over the plate. I think one of the things that's helped him is he's kept a lot. He's got a lot of swings and misses on balls outside the strike zone, on breaking pitches. You know, his curveball, his slider. That's what's really given him a new life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he has um, the nastiest stuff on the Rockies pitching staff. Some of the nastiest stuff in the MLB that. When they're on the road, you can really see how much that curveball moves. And for a starting pitcher, um, it's crazy how much he can rack up that fastball and then go go to that curveball. And that's why he's able to strike out so many guys. But it's all a matter of yeah. consistency for him. And he, he has sort of found that in these last few months of the season, which is going to really help him as they make as they make this playoff push and maybe into the playoffs. As I mentioned earlier, the, earlier, the Rockies trail the Los Angeles Dodgers by a half game as it stands now for the division, but they're also leading the wild card by a half game to the St. Louis Cardinals who are a team that is it, which is a team that struggled a lot as of, as of recently. I think they have a pretty good shot of making the playoffs, but if you're Colorado, you want to win the division. They haven't looked as good on the road this year. The Cardinals currently trail the Brewers, 2-1 in the top of the eighth, eighth, and with the Rockies win, they can extend that lead 
to a game and a half. But I think you got to have your uh, sights set on the division, especially considering that you've struggled to hit on the road. A, it takes one bad pitching performance for you to lose a game in a, in a one-game playoff. And you don't, you don't want to have to chance that. You want to win the division, and you want to get home field advantage to start off playing that wild card team. Right. They tried that wild card business last year, the one game and you're out. That, that stuff's no fun. You, no. You want to be playing the real series, the real playoffs. You want to get into a five-game series with um, what is most likely going to be the Atlanta Braves. And they still have a very good possibility of doing it. Zach Granke's on the mound for yeah. the Diamondbacks tonight. Uh, it seems like the Diamondbacks really care about beating the Dodgers. They've put up two pretty good fights against them. Not well, as much yeah, they, the other they don't night. care about beating the Rockies, but they care about the Dodgers. <laughs> I haven't quite figured that out. Yes, but anyway. and I heard that um, the Diamondbacks fans were chanting, let's go Rockies, to the Dodgers well, crowd um, in Arizona last night. So that type of stuff yeah. is going to help them, as long as they care about beating the Dodgers because their season is over. Um, but it is a divisional rival, so... As long as they can take down the Dodgers tonight, winning the yeah. series against the Dodgers will be a good win for the D-backs. I think the biggest key for the Rockies is to get contributions across the board at the plate. And we saw that last night with, the, with them putting up 10 runs on the scoreboard. And you saw David Dahl lead off the scoring with a three-run bomb that just cleared the fence in left field. But Tyler Hampson, Dahl, Maybe Ramel Tapia a little bit as we move along here in September. Obviously, we don't know if he'll be on the postseason roster. But having those younger guys contribute, because when Nolan Arenado was in a little bit of a slump against the Dodgers, Charlie Blackman wasn't hitting as much. He had a nice home run in one of those games, but you can't depend on him for everything. Trevor Story was out with an injury. When, those, when they weren't getting maximum production from those three guys, they struggled to hit. And they need to get more hitting on the road if they want to make a deep playoff run, which I think they have the pitching to do. Not just in the starting rotation, but their bullpen has looked excellent since June. So I think that they need to just get some bats going, get some consistency at the plate, and they can make a deep run. I, I don't see why not. Yeah, especially in the National League. But you're right, and David Dahl has been kind of the key over these last five games. Him getting hot has been huge for that Rockets yeah. offense. And as long as he can stay hot as – this next week, he's going to really help him get into the playoffs. I mean, he, when he is on his game, he's one of the best. He, he can be one of the best outfielders in the National League. He, we just haven't seen it so much because he's hurt all the time. But when he came up as a rookie, he, he was so impressive, and he almost took the team to the playoffs until the bullpen blew up in, in that um, August. Yeah, now let me ask you this. Obviously, like I said, you want to win the division. That's that's option number one. That's goal number one. But if you play in a wild card game, what's your plan of action? I personally, I start Kyle Freeland, but I might put, I might put Marquez in the bullpen and go all out to win that game. You know what I mean? And then take my chance starting Tyler Anderson in game one in a best of five series. I mean that's that's kind of risky, but Anderson's. Anderson's has had some flashes of greatness where he you think he can be elite, but he's been a little bit inconsistent. I would start Freeland and have Marquez ready in case things went south. And even if things go well, I might consider bringing in Marquez, throwing Freeland five innings. And if he gets, because remember, you have a much shorter leash in a one-game playoff. So if Freeland goes five innings and starts to get in the jam, I would consider bringing in Marquez. What, what, what would your plan of action be? Yeah, I don't think it's a horrible idea at all to have him at least ready in the bullpen just because um, whether he's, like, ready to start or not, he still has that stuff. And he has relief pitcher-type stuff. So yeah. he can come in and, I think, help you out if that situation were to happen. But yeah. my belief is that if Kyle Freeland were to start the wild card game, he'd be going pretty deep. He is just a competitor. Yeah. And he will stay in there and he, and just keep competing until that game ends. And he, he, he will go to the end because he's just, he's just a fighter. Man, is he is is he a gamer or what? I love to see the fiery look in the Denver Natives' eyes. But let's not forget their bullpen has been really good as well. Mm-hmm. Wade Davis, after a shaky start, has leveled out here later on. Not just him, Adam Adafino has been good, 
and an, an unlikely contribute in that facet of the game, Scott Oberg, Scott Oberg has been one of the best relievers the past two months of the season. So if they can just get free, six innings out of Freeland in a game like that, six innings, two runs or less, they have a good chance of winning. Now, like, I, like we talked about, they need to get the hitting going, especially on the road when you face that extra level of challenge. But still, I, I love the way that they're pitching on all, all levels of the game right now. I, I agree with you. This bullpen has looked a lot different, um, I guess, pretty much this past month. They blew a few games in um, in August, but it, it's just Wade Davis has stepped up. He's ready to close. I don't know Adovino has been able to come in when Wade Davis needs rest and close for them, and it kind of helps to have two closers. And then you got Sung Wan Oh and Scott Oberg behind them, and that's a pretty good top four. Yeah, a tale of two halves, so to speak, mm-hmm. it has been – Getting, for this, for getting this a lefty into that yeah. bullpen would obviously help a lot because you can't really trust Jake McGee or Chris no. Wilson right now. And so having a guy that can't go left on left hurts them a little bit. But And that's that's been the criticism out of a lot of people is they should have went harder at the trade deadline to get a lefty receiver, a uh, ref receiver, I'm thinking about football, but a ref, lefty reliever and then also a, a catcher that could hit a little bit more, maybe like a JT Real Muto, someone like which, that. Which is exactly what the Phillies did at the deadline. They went and got Aaron Loop, the lefty reliever from uh, the Blue Jays, and then they got Wilson, Wilson Ramos, Ramos to yeah. play catcher. And they kind of stole the Rockies guys because the Phillies are way out of it at this point. Yeah, they, they, they did. It'll be interesting to see how the play, season plays out. And next week at this time, we will have a result of the Rockies season. We'll know if they'll be playing more October baseball if it, or if it'll be a one and out oh. like it was last year. We're going to keep our fingers crossed here, right? Right. Hopefully we're talking about some playoff baseball next week. I don't, yeah, yeah. I don't want to stop talking about baseball. I don't want to yeah. keep it Broncos and bus talk. Around. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I wanna, I wanna, we do have hockey coming up, and that's kind of yeah, that's, one of my sports, so that, I will enjoy that. But that, I do a, like to talk baseball as deep as possible. That's a silver line of the, of the situation, but I just want to see another Rocktober here, another edition of 2007 Rocktober, which I think this team has the potential to do when you look at the genetic makeup of them. Yeah, the team itself and then also the National League, there's just yeah. not really a team that I like a lot in the National League to win it. And anything can happen so, in, in, in a, in a seven-game series. To yeah, be with it being wide open in the league, if they can just get in, I think they could, could make a run. You're right about that. Rockies facing off the Phillies for against the Phillies for one more game. They'll have a three-game set against the Washington Nationals to close out the season at home. This has been the Howell Stern Wednesday evening sports radio show, and we look forward to talking to you next time.